Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in to listen. Before we get into our subject for today, I just want to give you a reminder that this Thursday, being the first Thursday of the month, there's going to be an additional podcast out and available for you on Thursday morning. It's going to be a podcast with one of the brethren here, uh, Trey Yeager. Yes, the last name means something. He is my youngest child, my youngest son. He and I are going to be talking about the challenges of finding a wife in this present uh, world, and I think you will find it very interesting to, to hear it from a young man who is single, who certainly wants to find a wife and wants to get married. I think you're going to find it interesting to hear his perspective. So that'll be Thursday. Typically, uh, I live in uh, mountain daylight time, so if you're on the east coast of the United States, I'm two hours behind you. Uh, for example, typically, uh, that podcast is up by 6.30 a.m. my time, uh, so you can look for it, you know, adjusting for whatever time zone in the world you live in uh, at that point in time. So today, we're going to talk about John 6.44. It's like many other passages that are misunderstood by people. There are times where folks are presented a certain lesson from the Word of God, and, and somebody has just given them a verse out of a context. Maybe they quickly uh, pass by some other things in the context, but then they make a whole doctrine out of a verse and then find a few other verses in the New Testament that tie into it. I want to show you how it's done. So a guy might get up and he might say to his audience, in John 6, 44, Jesus says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent him, sent me draw him, and I'll raise him up last day. And that person might take this passage and say, Let me tell you what this means. This means you can't seek the Lord. He seeks you. It's not up to you. And from that, they may teach that God has selected people, and he goes and gets those people, and has nothing to do with their seeking. And they may even grab a few passages out of the context, like John 6, 37 and John 6, 65, which say this, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Verse 65, He said, Therefore said I unto you that no man come unto me except it were given him my Father. And they say, See, it is God's choice who is going to come to Jesus it's not up to you, it's not up to me, it's not up to anything that we do. Could even tie in other passages like John 1, 12, and 13. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And say, see, you're born of God. It's nothing that you do. You could uh, use passages like 1 Corinthians 3, 6 where Paul says, I've planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And from those verses, they could say, look, God chooses who's going to be saved, and it has nothing to do with you. You have no choice. God is going to either select you, or he is not going to select you. Well, there's a problem with this doctrine. It's not the truth. While single verses out of context might be able to be used to imply and, and state this is the conclusion, even the very context of those verses don't support the conclusion that people draw from that. You know, if you were to read John 6, 44 and 45, 
then you would get how the Father draws the lost to Jesus. Notice, it says, no man come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up that last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. You see how the context just clarifies? And not just that one context, but if you ever come across a passage or somebody brings a passage of Scripture to you and says, this is the conclusion of the matter, the question is, does that conclusion fit the rest of the Word of God? Are there other passages that would seemingly contradict that conclusion? See, the verses don't contradict themselves, but man's conclusions from those passages are often shown to be contradictions when you consider the Word of God as a whole. You know, for example, if you turn through the Bible and you just read from other contexts, how do people come to the Lord? Well, through learning and obeying, just like John 6, 45 uh, shows us, you look at other passages, Old and New Testament alike, and you see that's the conclusion. For example, Psalmist, Psalm 19, 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testament of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Okay, so yeah, hearing the word of God has a part in my conversion process. In Acts 2, 36-42, now here is the first sermon that's preached after Jesus ascends into heaven. It is recorded that there are Jews who have come to Jerusalem. If you back up and you read the whole entire uh, context, uh, Jews that have come to Jerusalem for the 50th day after Passover, also known as Pentecost. And the apostles are taking uh, the opportunity to preach to all these Jews. And there are those that were already in Jerusalem as well as from all other countries. So in Acts 2.36 through 42, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in the heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you, to your children, all those that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Now, I just want to stop here. We're going to keep reading. You notice how that doesn't fit the conclusion one might draw from John 6, 44, that God does the choosing? Because here it's save yourselves from this untoward generation. Through, through what? Through the teaching, just like John 6, 44 and 45 together show, Right? So continuing on, verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added to them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. So the idea that John 6, 44 and other passages that we talked about has God selecting people of no choosing of their own, of nothing else, has already been debunked. And when you continue to read through other scriptures, Romans chapter 6, written to Christians who were Jews and Gentiles, verses 16 and 17, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Same book, later, Romans chapter 16, 25 and 26, 
Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To the saints in Thessalonica, again, Christians already, First Thessalonians 2, 12 and 13, that you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it, not as the words of men, but as truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. See, it wasn't God choosing them and selecting them and pulling them out of society. It was the word of God. And that's how that's how God, the Father, drew people to Jesus through the word. They received it. They obeyed it. The word of God continued to work in them. In 2 Thessalonians, second letter written to the same people by Paul, Savanus, and Timothy, verse 14 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you go to other epistles, see, see, we're seeing a consistent thread. How does God draw people to obedience through his word? That's the consistent thread, right? We, we started in Psalm 19, we've been, well, Acts 2, 36 42, Romans 6, 16, 17, Romans 16, 25, 26, 1 Thessalonians 2, 12 and 13, 2 Thessalonians 2, 14. Peter writes about it in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 25. For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing you've purified your souls and obeying the truth through the spirit and the unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God. How are you born again? By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is of grass, and the glory of men is the flower of the grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof fadeth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Consistency. Old and New Testament. Context of John 6. Consistency says God the Father draws men through the word. Through his inspired words. The gospel is how. In Romans 1, 16 through 18. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, or in other words, who suppress the truth. Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because that, the gospel, is how men are drawn to Christ. That's the power of salvation. So let's let's expand our thinking a little bit uh, because typically one of the doctrines that is identified as irresistible grace, John 6:44 pops up all the time when you hear people teaching irresistible grace. And in that, 
doctrine and like doctrines, the point will be made that you know, people can't seek after God. God seeks after them. God goes and gets them, uh, etc. Well, is that true? Can you seek God? Do you have any part in the process of salvation? Well, throughout the Bible, again, just I want to show you consistency. Whether it was Israel of old or people in the first century, there is the process of if you want to find the Lord, you have to do some seeking. In 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, it says, Now for a long season Israel hath been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel, notice, and sought him, he was found of them. How did they get God back in their lives after they went off into apostasy? They turned to him. They sought him. Then he was found. In Psalm chapter 40 and verse 16, it says, Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation, they continue, the Lord be magnified. In Isaiah 55, to, again, erring Israel. When you start in Isaiah chapter 1, man, they're, they're walking away from the Lord. Isaiah 55, 6 and 9 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. This is to Israel, who already had a relationship with God, but they had apostatized. They had walked away. How do they get restored? Again, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return, Lord, and he will have mercy unto him. To our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. They had to seek him. When Jesus was teaching... He said in Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty, and I, and this this is puzzling to me because the same people that would use John six forty four and and try to uh, say that you know you have no part in your relationship with God that God chooses you you have no part they do use these passages when they're talking about other things so it's like they have selective usage of the word of God when it fits the doctrine that they want they'll use it well Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty it's not as known as John 3.16, which we'll actually talk about here in just a little bit. But it's pretty well known. It says, come unto me, Jesus speaking. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. Who's doing the coming? It's not God grabbing. You know, just think through this process. The idea of irresistible grace would have you be like a can of green beans at a grocery store where somebody's walking down the aisle, reaching out, grabbing that can of green beans. That can of green beans has no choice to whom grabs it, what cart it ends up in, etc., right? And that's the way people use John 6, is that God will come and select off of a shelf the people that he wants. Well, folks, we're not a can of green beans Jesus' invitation here, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Who's doing the coming? The person that wants a relationship with God, with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He says, take. He doesn't say, I'm giving it. He says, take. So, yes, he's extending the invitation. 
He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest for your soul. So my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come and take, right? That's his invitation. Come and take. The last chapter and the way that the English Bible is laid out for us is Revelation 22. Verses 14 through 17 says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bride and morning star and the spirit and the bride say, come. Yeah, they're not taking, right? The Holy Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth Say, come, let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, who's that put it in the hands of? The hearer, right? Let him take of the water of life freely. Folks, these are unmistakably clear scriptures. And they're true in context. Go back and research it yourself. Why? Is salvation far from the wicked? You know what Psalm 119, 155 says? Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. Not because God says, I'm not going to draw you. No, he has. He's given his word. Why are they lost? Because they don't seek. Well, did Jesus come to seek the saved? Did he come to save the saved? In Luke 19, great, just a great account. I love this account. It teaches a lot of different principles, repentance and fruit for repentance and everything, all kinds of good lessons here. It says, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was a little, little, little stature. And ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree, to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Jesus said to him, this day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he is also the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus' part meets in the middle with our part. You see, that was Zacchaeus. Come, he comes down, comes to his house. Zacchaeus wanted to do the right thing wanted to repent, was willing to restore, not just what he taken from somebody, but fourfold. Kind of like, I'm going to give you interest, right? True heart of repentance. Well, let me ask you a question. Who gets rewarded with eternal life? Is it those that God the Father kidnaps? Because irresistible grace 
really is that. It's the idea that God kidnaps who he wants. Well, our God's not a kidnapper. He wants you to choose him as much as he chooses you. The chapter of faith that at least it's often referred to as in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of, notice, them that diligently seek him. Folks, a person can and must seek the Lord. And you know, the opposite is true. The Lord can desire you as much as your imagination can be, and that sh doesn't shouldn't take your imagination. How much he desires you to be saved is evident in the sending of his only begotten son to live and to die and, and to be risen and to ascend into heaven to send the apostles in the world. All the effort that God put forth should be abundantly clear to you that he wants you to be saved. But as much as he wants you to be saved, here's a question for you. Can you reject his will? You know, the person who might hold to the idea that, no, if God wants you, he's going to kidnap you. I don't think they'd use that language, by the way. I'm just using that language. Uh, and purposefully. Um, I'm, it's def I'm definitely purposefully using that language because that is exactly what irresistible grace is. It is the kidnapping of people against their will. Your will wouldn't matter. Well, can someone reject the word of God? Here's a question. Can someone who God wants to hear his word reject it? I'm just going to take you through some old and New Testament passages. Now, I'm simplifying it. When I say Old Testament, you may or may not know this already, but just kind of a quick point from Genesis chapter 1 through the giving of the law in Exodus chapter uh, chapter 20, you're, you're talking about a time before the law of Moses. From that time, you got the law of Moses. Well, then Moses obviously dies, right? Joshua takes over. Then there's judges and so forth, kings, prophets, priests. And they continued. That's why Jesus refers to it, the law and the prophets and the Psalms. They continued to teach after Moses left. So the law of Moses, you could say, expanded. Uh, and the law and the prophets were until John, Luke 16, 16. And then there was some changing in teaching. And you can see that in Matthew 5, one of the clearest places where you, where you see Jesus, you know, it has been said, but I say unto you, you can see changes in, in what was taught versus what Jesus is taught. So you have kind of when you say Old Testament, New Testament, that's that's quite an oversimplification. Then the New Testament of Jesus Christ does not begin until after he dies, Hebrews 9, 15 through 17. And then some people get confused. They'll say, well, then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts 1 are all Old Testament books. No, they're not Old Testament books. They were written after Jesus died. So they're part of the law of Christ. But there are some things contained therein as a history account that you have to be careful of because when Jesus was alive and you're reading uh, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about him, he was alive under the law of Moses, which began to change once John came.
So saying Old New Testament is, is a bit of an oversimplification. And even what I just explained now is a simplification of, of a lot of information. So when I say Old New Testament, just, just for the sake of reference points is what I'm doing. You know, I'm Genesis through Malachi or Matthew through Revelation. Psalm 107, verses 1 through 11. I want you to hear this. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. And, and, and I want to remind you of the point. Can someone reject the word of God? That's what we're looking at. Psalm 107, beginning verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, when he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered them out of the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distress. And they led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness, such as sit in darkness and the shadow of death being bound in the affliction of iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and condemned the counsel of the Most High. Can man reject his word? Well, they did. In Proverbs 1, 22 through 27, how long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning. Just kind of a point here real quick. We're going to talk about scorners on Sunday's podcast, so hope you'll come back for that. The text continues, and fools hate knowledge. Turn ye at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you, because I have called and ye refused. I've stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but ye have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as desolation, your destruction cometh as whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. Can you reject God's call? Can you reject his counsel? They did. Proverbs 14, 22. Do they not err that devise evil, but mercy and truth to them that devise good? Can you err by planning evil? They did. Isaiah 63, 10. But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he was turned to be their enemy and fought against them. Can you rebel against God's will? Israel did. Jeremiah eleven ten. They are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words. And they went after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. Can you refuse God's word when he wants you to hear it? They did. Matthew 23, 33 through 37. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I sent... I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, some of them you shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, for the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barcaeus, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I send you, all these things shall come unto this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which send thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as the hen gathered their chickens under her wings, and ye would not. What'd they do? They refused 
the call of restoration of God. And John, or not John, Luke, Luke 7, 18 through 30. The reason I said John is because we're talking about John here. It says, the disciples of John showed him all these things, and John called unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? When their men were come unto him, they said, John Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or we look for it, we for another? And at the same hour he cured many of their, their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and many of them that were blind he gave sight. Jesus answering said to them, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended to me. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What ye went out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously appareled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I send you, among all those that are born of women, there is not a greater than John the Baptist, but he that's least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. Can you reject the word of God? They did. John 12, 48. Jesus says, He that rejecteth me, and receiveth not my words as one that judge him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Can you reject the words of Jesus Christ? Jesus says you can. Acts 7, 51 through 53. Ye stiff-necked, Stephen preaching here before he gets stoned to death. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain which of them before the coming of the just one of whom... Ye have now been the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. What, well, can you reject the word of God? Can you resist the Holy Spirit? They did. Hebrews 12, 24 and 25. To Jesus, the mediator, the new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling, and the speaking of better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. Now, why would the Hebrew writer say not to refuse him that speaketh if you couldn't help it? Because you can he goes on, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not, shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Can you reject the words of God? Absolutely. When we hear the truth, that is God calling us through the gospel, like we read in 2 Thessalonians 2.14. You I, anyone that hears the word of God, must believe and act upon the truth so that we can have salvation in the future. Think of what Jesus said to the apostles. Mark 16, 15 and 16, he said, go on them, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel of every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Believe and is baptized. That's what you have to do to be saved in these passages. Of course, that's a simplification, right? Now, all you have to do to be damned is not believe. Well, what's that show you? You can reject the word of God, yes. 
But if you're going to accept it, you've got to act upon it. In Acts 3.19, when Peter is preaching after he and John healed a man, he said, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Repent and. Two actions there that you have to be taking in addition to what you know, Mark 16, 15, and 16 said. In Acts 8, 25 through 39, uh, when we looked, they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, turned to Jerusalem, preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south under the way which goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all their treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go now and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man shall guide me? He desired Philip that we come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a dumb and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opening not his mouth. And his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or some other man? Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And he said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me be baptized? Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went, both went down in the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. You see the hearing of the word of God, and then acting upon it. This man confessed Christ, was immersed in water. You know, when we look at about the Corinthians, Acts 18.8, Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. God called upon them, through his word. They believed it and they acted in obedience. Right? Just like Mark 16, 15, 16, just like you know, going way back, we read in Acts 2. We see consistency here. It's not God calling somebody and them just kind of being roped in. He doesn't shackle you to heaven, gives you the choice, gives you the freedom to accept or reject, to seek or not to seek. To find or not to find. When the apostles, the account of, of the commission to them in Matthew's account, after they teach and baptize, Matthew 28, 20 says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you, lo, I'm with you, even unto the world. After initial obedience, then there is the continuation of having to observe, having to obey all things. So you become a Christian and you continue in obedience thereafter. Let me give you another. As we think about John 6, 44 and just reasoning, right? Uh, just reasoning. If we were to think, what would happen if the Father forced people to be his people? How many people would ever be lost? Again, Old and New Testament. The simplification of that. How many people would ever be lost? Well, let me propose to you and then prove it through Scripture that God has always wanted all men to be saved. In Isaiah 45, 22, 
The prophet records, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. In Acts 17.30, Paul preaching in Athens on Mars Hill to a people who were wholly given to idolatry. He said, In the times of the ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. In 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, Paul talking to Timothy about prayer uh, as an evangelist. Uh, you know, an evangelist is going to face persecution and all types of other things. He's trying to instruct Timothy. He makes a great point here in that context, 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, where this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So, and, and we could go through other texts. We could look at, you know, 2 Peter 3, 1 through 10, where when you come to verse 9, uh, you, you know, you see why the world has not been destroyed because the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. Some men count slackness as long-suffering us. We're not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. You know, there were scoffers in that time saying, today is going to continue like tomorrow. In essence, Jesus is never going to come back, so forth and so on. And Peter was educating them. You know, why is the world still in place? Same answer would apply today. Because God wants men to be saved. He's long-suffering. He wants more children with him in all eternity. Every one of these passages show us that God wants every man to be saved. So if he were going to draw to him those that he wants to be saved, no one would ever be lost. Hmm. Now the people that take John 6.44 and teach from it the kidnapping doctrine, they won't go that far. They want there to be a select group of people, of course, the people in their denomination to be saved or in their um, movement or whatever they you want to call it. But they're not going to include everybody in that. When we look at the Bible, even with wicked people, God wants them to be saved. But there are conditions. In Ezekiel 18, 20 through 23, says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked will turn from his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. And his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? That is very clear language that puts somebody being saved in the position to choose that. It's inescapable, irrefutable. That John 3, 16 passage, when we look at 15 through 17, says that whosoever, it's, this is the same book John 6 44 appears in right so in John 3 15 through 17 whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life for God sent not his son in the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved it's not God's will that anybody be lost he wants the whole world when, you know, we talked earlier, and we're talking context, we, we looked at John 1, 12, and 13, which just to bring to your remembrance, 
It says, as many as received him, they gave power to be the sons of God, even them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood nor of flesh, but by the will, nor by the will of God, or will of man, but of God. Sorry for butchering that. A little too quick in quoting it. You drop down a little bit later in that context, John 1, 29. The next day, John see Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Not just a select, but all. Who's the Lord want to reconcile to himself? How about everybody? How about the whole world? And 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us a ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. In 1 John, the second chapter, first two verses, my little children, which is a term of endearment, like a teacher to his student, these things write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Oh, man, how do you miss that? Only if you want to. 1 John 4, 14, we have seen and do testify the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You can only miss that if you are dishonest. I'm going to say this at this point. If you're listening to this podcast and you believe in doctrines like irresistible grace and these scriptures are not changing your mind, you are not an honest person. This is abundantly clear, unmistakably clear. It's not proof texting. It's not one verse or one context or one verse out of context. It is the entirety of the scripture that show the idea that God draws or kidnap certain people, is false. Salvation didn't just come for an elect group of people. Titus 2, 11 through 14, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a peculiar people zealous of all good works. Our God's not a kidnapper. He wants all men to be saved. I want to draw your attention back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Here are the children of Israel. They were chosen by God. They were specifically chosen that through them, Going back to the promise to Abraham, Genesis chapters 12 through 22. Genesis 22, 18, where God said to Abraham, through thy seed, all nations of the earth be blessed. God kept his promise. He chose Israel. He separated them from other nations. He pulled them from everyone else. Not that they alone would be saved, but that through them, salvation would come through Christ for all humanity, for the possibility to be saved past, present, future all men. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, I want you to think what God said to the people that he separated from everyone else, because it very clearly shows God's not a kidnapper, even in the people that he selected. You hear me here? All right. These are the people that God separated from everybody else. People that, you know, he gave a land to, he used the law of Moses as a law 
as a wall of partition, Ephesians 2, 11 through 17, to separate Jew from Gentile. And Deuteronomy chapter 7, when he's talking to Israel, he says in verse 6, Thou art holy people in the Lord thy God. The Lord hath chosen thee to be a special people in himself above all the people on the face of the earth. To these people, that if you're going to say there's an elect and you were to use the Bible, that would be the easiest argument to be made, okay? So to this people, Deuteronomy chapter 30, and it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I said before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord thy God has driven thee, and shall return to the Lord thy God, and shall obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children with all thine heart and with all thy soul that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity, have compassion upon thee, will return and gather thee from all the nations where the Lord has scattered thee. If any of thine be driven out to the outmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, thou shalt possess it, and he will do thee good and multiply thee above thy fathers. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart, in the heart of thy seed, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. And the Lord thy God will put all these curses upon thine enemies, and upon them that hate thee, which persecuted thee. And thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord, and do his commandments, which I command thee this day. And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thine hand, in the fruit of thy body, in the fruit of thy cattle, in the fruit of the land, for good, for the Lord will again rejoice over thee for good as he rejoiced over thy fathers. If, if, notice that, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes which were written in the book of this law, and if thou turn unto the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul. For this commandment which I commanded this day is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. And then I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgment, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land where thou go to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be driven away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that you shall surely perish, that you shall not prolong your days upon the land whether thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I've set before you life and death, Blessing and cursing, therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, that thou mayest obey his voice, that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. Even when God chose Israel as his special people. Set them apart. Ladies and gentlemen, Deuteronomy chapter 30 says they had to choose. God chose them. But he doesn't go beyond halfway. They had to come back. 
and meet him. And they had to obey him. Or all the promises were contingent upon their obedience. Later to Israel, Ezekiel 18.30, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his way, saith the Lord. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Even when God selected a group of people, ladies and gentlemen, Israel still had to choose to obey him. He didn't kidnap him. He didn't say, I'm going to make it impossible for you to walk away from me. He didn't shackle them and chain them to a portion of land. He gave them choice. And when you're really just honestly studying the Bible, you read through the book of Joshua, you see what they did with choice. You read through the book of Judges, you see what they did with choice. You read through 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, you see what they did with choice. And even when God punished them, when God put them in captivity and then brought them out of captivity, you read books like the book of Nehemiah. You see, they come back and they're rebuilding Jerusalem, just like God promised there in Deuteronomy 30. He brought them back from the lands that they'd been driven into captivity. And yet, even in the point of restoration, there were those among them that rebelled. When you read Nehemiah 13, abundantly clear. Choice. Choice. God's not a kidnapper. Before we wrap up our podcast... John 6, and if you're an honest person, I have given you so much evidence to walk away from the wrong conclusion. I wouldn't know what else to say. If you, if, if you heard all that and that's not enough, yeah, there's other scriptures we could look at, but man, we looked at plenty. But John 6, also mentions something else. I will raise him up at that last day. I, I don't want to leave that alone. Okay, the reference there, and this is beautiful, and this kind of comes back to what we talked about in last Tuesday's podcast, you don't have to be hopeless. I want to use a little different scripture. I don't, I don't recall using this in last week's podcast. If I did, I, I've forgotten. But in John chapter 11, a friend of Jesus named Lazarus dies. He's the brother of Martha and Mary. In John 11, 21 through 27, then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus said to her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And she said to him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which shall come into the world. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. When he says, I will raise him up at the last day, listen, that is available to you. Back to last week's podcast. You don't have to be hopeless. The last day is that time where that last trumpet sounds. That 1 Corinthians 15, 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall rise incorruptible, and we shall change. Passages that I do know we talked about, and you don't have to be hopeless. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 18, 13 through 18, he says to the saints there, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, written to Christians, concerning them which are asleep, King James language there, these are people that have died. 
He said that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. You remember we talked about last week, the world has no hope, but Christians do. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So even those that are dead in Christ, God is going to raise up is the point. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain of the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Oh, when we look at Jesus, those of us who have accepted the invitation, those of us who have heard the word of God and have obeyed it, we look forward to being raised up in that last day. We're not hopeless. I hate that John 6, 44 has been hijacked by false teachers because in reality, it is a beautiful passage. And in context, it is wonderful. You know, in the context of John 6, there are people that witness Jesus feeding them miraculously and they wanted to make him a king. He left and he went to the other side uh, and, and by sea, they followed him. He chastised them in John 6, 26 and 27 to labor not for the meat that perishes, but that which endureth in everlasting life. He then went on to talk to them about he is the bread of life. It is a beautiful, often perverted text. You know what Roman Catholicism does with John 6? They make the Lord's Supper. They take from that and they teach that the Lord's Supper or what they call the Eucharist is literally the transformation of the unleavened bread into the literal flesh of Jesus and the fruit of the vine into the literal blood of Jesus. That text has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper, but they pervert it into it. It's a wonderful chapter, but it's an oft-twisted chapter for various reasons in different ways for various false doctrines. The beauty of the chapter is that Jesus is eternal life. And you can partake of that bread, whom is Christ, and you can look forward to being raised up the last day. He did his part. You got to do yours. Will you choose to be saved? You know, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 5, 8, and 9, talking about Jesus in the context, though he were a son, yet learned the obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author, meaning the source, of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. Will you be one that obeys him? Listen, let me help you. Give me a call, 915-525-5794. Visit the website, www.wordsoftruth.net. You can email me at brian, B-R-I-A-N, at wordsoftruth.net. But I'd love to talk to you. Love to hear your voice. We could talk over technology like Skype. If you've got an iPhone or an iPad or an Apple computer, I, I use Apple products. I've got FaceTime. We could talk that way. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to be able to help you. I'd love to be able to help you obey the Lord and be saved, help you look. But will you set aside the doctrines of men, the twist of scriptures, the simplicity that we just looked at in this lesson. And listen, I approach every subject like this. I, I go through the Bible. If you've ever paid attention, I have a pattern of teaching. Uh, when, when I'm covering things, I generally will cover them from, from the entirety of God's Word. 
because there's consistency. And yes, I know that the law of Moses was uh, set aside that we could be married to another, Romans 7, 1 through 6. I know that it was uh, nailed to the cross, Colossians 2, 14. I know that there are things in the law of Moses that do not apply today, circumcision, the keeping of feasts and tabernacles and days. But the mind of God is revealed to us in all 66 books of the Bible. And the mind of God has always been that all men be saved. That's his desire. As an evangelist, as a preacher of the gospel, as a teacher of his word, that is my desire too. I'd love to help you. I hope you've enjoyed this study. I hope you'll tune back in on Thursday. I really think you'll enjoy listening to a young man talk about some things from the scriptures and from his own mind. And then on Sunday, if all goes according to plan, if the world doesn't end, hope you'll tune back into those podcasts. But don't wait till then. Give me, give me a call. Give me an email. Do something. Contact me so I can help you. I'd love to know you're listening too. I, I question how many people are benefiting from this podcast. I'd like to know that you're benefiting from this podcast. I tend to stop doing things that aren't beneficial. So if you like this podcast and you're benefiting from it, it would do well if you let me know that. Or someday I may just turn and say, you know, I don't think a lot of people are benefiting from it because I haven't heard much recently from anybody. And that, that might be the end of the podcast someday if uh, I'm, I'm not sure people are benefiting from it. Well, thank you for listening. And uh, I'll let you go at this point until next time.